Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. That's what we're studying together. We're studying as a church, Galatians. And here's a great quote to start our teaching time off with. Okay, look what it says. This is uh, Sinclair Ferguson. The notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living and the way we live our lives. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal, the goal of redemption. Profound quote. Okay, the fact that we're sons, sons and daughters of God, that is, right, the mainspring of living our Christian life together. The book of Galatians is about freedom, friends. It is about freedom. And today could be a life-changing moment for you because, because we're going to talk about a freedom that comes, not, not for something, but from something in a lot of ways. Freedom from uh, anxiety and wrestling and fighting and worry and insecurities. We're going to talk about, we're going to look at two full chapters this week, but we're going to look at the, kind of a deeper existential rest. This peaceful tranquility that transcends circumstances and uh, your, your nightmares and your history, it, will all, it could, has the potential of altering your entire personality and even your temperament if it is grasped. Okay. So how are we going to do that? We're going to look at today, we're going to look at two full chapters, chapters three and chapters four. And um, the re- reason we're doing that, if you remember this book, Galatians, if you're new today of our study, um, this is a rather violent book. Paul is in a bad mood. He is mad. He is perplexed. He is irritated um, because, okay, rightfully so. He's not a moody person. It's, it's rightfully so because the, the people like you and me have rejected what is true about the gospel. And, and, and they, should, the, they should know better. They should know about the freedom that comes with the gospel but they don't, and they've returned to some bad habits and some bad values about God. This is about the nature of God. And so what he does is he rolls out six different reasons why this decision to reject the gospel or not apply the gospel in their life, six reasons he's going to go through rather quickly. And, and, I, and I thought it would be better if we did all six together as well. We'll do five out of the six because it'll make more sense to us. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to find that we get a bigger understanding of the deeper meaning and maybe even the deeper feeling of what he's trying to communicate than to, to break it up. If you look at Bible studies and, and some preaching schedules, you'll see when, he looks at chap, when people look at chapters 3 and 4, they'll do it in like three weeks. So that, let me, okay, let's imagine this. Uh, you leave for a month on vacation, you know, the fam- you know, j- just the grown-ups. They leave for a month on vacation. Your 14-year-old child sneaks out the car wrecks it into a tree, everybody's fine, but there's a lot of wrinkled metal, okay? Now, if you were to have a discussion over email, would you, would you say sneaking out the car as a 14-year-old and wrecking it, there's six reasons why that was bad. I'd like to give you two each week for three weeks. I don't think you would. I think you'd write a letter and you'd say, one, one reason it was a really bad idea. Two, the second reason. The third reason it was a stupid thing to do. The fourth reason it was dumb. The fifth reason I would love to change my tone with you, but there's a sixth reason that, that right? And so because you do all six at once, uh, I think something else is communicated then, right? I mean, you might send the same email uh, three times over two weeks, 
but you'd probably want to let them have all six at once. So that's what we're going to do. I'm trying to keep the mood and the tone of what Paul was doing when he originally did it. And I want us to feel that because I want us to, he's not talking about wrinkled metal here. He's talking about us having the gospel given to us and rejecting the, the love of God and the actions of the love of God. We are turning our backs on the depth and the breadth of what God has done for us. And, and they should know better. We should know better. So that's what we're going to do today. Don't even try to take notes. We'll put the manuscript on the website. You can watch it later if you'd like as well. Let's review for a little bit. One, what is God's plan for our life? God's plan is that you would be his perfect child. He's going to make you his perfect child. There's two parts to that. He's going to make you his child. He's going to make you his perfect child. This is key. This is absolutely key to understand. The way God, the way you become a child of God is the same way you become a perfect child of God. Same method. The way you become a child of God is the same way you become a perfect child of God. It is by faith alone. Look at it. By faith alone, in grace alone, by Christ alone. By faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone. Let's make sure we understand that. We have these props up here. There's a purpose for it. Grace, alone, grace means gift. That's why we have this giant gift up here. And so when we talk about that we have a right relationship with God, that he makes us his child and he makes us his perfect child, it is because he has promised us this gift of inheritance. And the promise of what we inherit, you know, if you remember, it's a paid in full by what Jesus Christ did. He died and we inherited justified, justification. We inherited this idea of being justified. That's what the gift is. So it is by, right, by faith alone in this gift alone. That's how we become a child. That's how we are perf- be made perfect as a child. In Christ alone, in what he did alone. Now, we have another prop over here. It's an exercise bike. This is a promise, just to keep in mind. This is a promise. This is a promise that we would inherit being justified or justification. This, this exercise bike, it's a stationary bike. And the reason it's a stationary bike is because you can ride it as long and as fast as you want. But you're going to be stationary. You don't go anywhere. You don't do anything on this except exercise futility. It burns some calories, I guess, right? This is called performance. In the, in, the Old, in the Bible, this is called legalism. In the Older Testament, it's mostly referring to the Old Testament law of Moses. When we in, in, involve ourselves in performance or legalism, it's, we're trying to, it's, it's not the law. It's not the existence of the law. The law is a good thing. Good thing, the law. It's, it's the bad attitude about the law. It's, it's the belief that we can earn by performing, spinning our moral wheels and earn, just uh, legalism comes in two forms. We can either earn child, we could become his, oh, sorry. We can become his child by, by doing, by performing. That's what a lot of people do. But what a lot of people do in church is they say, oh, no, 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 I got it. I understand this. I become a child as a gift. I inherit this gift and then I come over here and then I get on the exercise bike, and then he'll like me, and I'll become a perfect child by works, by the law, by legalism. 
And Paul says, today we're going to look at five, five out of six reasons why that's a ridiculous way of looking at life. It is, it is not experiential. It is illogical. It is illegal. It is a ridiculous way of looking at it. Because here's the point. Here's this is the physics of your soul. Okay? Only grace can change your soul. Only a gift from God from the promise of this inheritance, only that has the power to alter the nature of who you are. It will take a miracle, not your works. It will take a miracle for you to become a child of God. It will take a, it'll take a miracle of God for you to become a perfect child of God. Okay? That's the theme. Now, here we go. I'm, I'm trying to take on the attitude of Paul, a little bit irritated, you know, a bit my lip just, just to get in the mood here. Right now, I taste my own blood, so here we go. Five reasons, five reasons why this is it. It is by grace alone in Christ. Okay, one, your personal experience. Okay, your personal experience. You you crazy Christians, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, you crazy Christians. I mean, did somebody cast a spell on you, put a hex on you, some voodoo, that you took your eyes off Christ being crucified? I want to ask you something, he says. Did you receive, you remember when you started the new life in Christ together? Remember the joy of forgiveness? Did that happen by performing or did that happen by believing? You heard the promise and believed in it. Well, yeah, you heard the promise and believed in it. And now... What you began in the spirit with this miracle, are you now trying to perfect in performing? Okay, let me ask you again, okay? The spirit of God that came in you and the miracles that have happened in your life. You know all those times you're running around saying, oh, it was a God thing, it was a God thing. Okay, did those God things happen by you like spinning fast, performing well, earning God's love? Or was it when you finally quit and just said, I give up, God. And he says, yeah, let me in there. And that's when you found a job and you told everybody it was a God thing. Or that's when you finally had the courage to break up with a boyfriend. Or that's when, right, that's when it happened. They were miracles in your life. So that's your own personal experience. And, and <laughs> that's what changes you, God, his promises. Okay, it's always been that way. The second reason is if you go back to the father of faith, not the father of performance, the father of the promise, Abraham. Here's how it started. How did he get justified? Because that's what we inherit. That's what the promise is. It's justification. How did he get that? By performing? No. God came to Abraham and said, hey, I promise you, through your heir, the whole world will be justified. And Abraham said, I believe that. Boom, he was justified. He was justified because he believed in the promise of an heir. That's how it works. That's the way God does things. It's how you become his child. That's become how you become his perfect child. Look, here's just a summary, okay? It is by grace alone that you become a child of God. It is by grace alone that you become a perfect child of God. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. Those are the first two reasons. Let me give you just like a logical reason. Just, uh, this is the promise that we're talking about. That's the promise. That is justification comes from the promise of God that we inherit from Jesus. That's, let me 
Okay, let me give you just like a logical reason. Okay, it's kind of just basic, put on your legal hat, okay? If someone makes a will out, okay, they, the, a, a will is a promise that someone will inherit something. Once, once the will is like the last finished pages, once a will is done and it's been notarized or ratified, right, you sign on the, what, the bottom line, then you can't nullify it. You, you, you can't add to it, right? Well, what was the promise? What was the promise that was made to Abraham all along? He, the promise was to a seed, not to seeds. Now, here, here's, here's what I'm trying to... This is like the Old Testament, right? This is Moses and stuff. And, and the way your life will be changed, the way you become a child of God and the way you become a perfect child of God, is... It's from a seed, not seeds. Um, uh, one single heir, not a nation, right? Um, a person, a Jew, a, a single Jew, not the nation of Israel. You want me to get specific? I'll give you the answer key. Jesus, not Moses. That was the law. I mean, that was the promise that was made. Now, okay, so if... A law is given 430 years later, the law to Moses, okay? Does, does that, by doing that, does that nullify this? Can you, you can't tear this promise in half. God made it. He said, I will give you an heir, a seed, some person, Jesus, and, you, and he dies and you inherit his righteousness. And because he adds 430 years later, he gives the law to Moses, you, it doesn't nullify this. And you can't, like, staple it on and add it to, right? It's a promise. And the promise was signed on the bottom line, and it was ratified. It was notarized. There was this blood covenant that took place. So why was this given anyway then? Now you're, now you're confusing me. These are two separate things. This saves your life. This was given, first of all, there are several reasons why the law was given. But, I mean, one of the primary reasons was because of our transgressions. <laughs> we like to hurt each other. And, and the law was given, it was like, like an East German nanny, you know, that lives at your house and takes care of your two little boys, you know. And uh, whenever... Whenever the, they walk the boys to school and they pick up a rock and the nanny slaps them on the hand, right? The, the, the nanny kind of kept them in check. D doesn't change a heart. Can't. Can't make you do good. Can't stop you from doing bad. Can make you regret doing bad. Can make you feel the pain of not doing good. But that's, that's the limitations of it. That's one of the reasons. The other reason the law was given to Moses was it pointed, they were, a lot of the law was pointing to the gift, the promise. All those rituals and feasts that were going on, those were all clues. They were saying, hey, hey, this is just to kind of buy us some time and keep us in check until the promise comes. But the, one of the, the third reason that I want to bring up here is, is one that should be clear to you. And that is, the law was given to show that no matter how long you pedal and how hard you pedal, you can't get justification. It just, it just proves you can't do it. It was a perfect law given by a perfect law giver. 
John Stott says this about the, the law. The purpose, one of the purposes of the law was to lift the lid on man's respectability. Respect, lift the lid off of man's respectability and disclose what was really underneath. Sinful, rebellion, guilt under the judgment of God because we cannot save ourselves. Performing for God cannot change your soul. It never could. It was never meant to be that because this is the only thing that has that power, the promise of God that we would inherit righteousness, that we would inherit the justice or justification from Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's the point. Did you hear? It's, a, it's like a will. And if you inherit something from a will, you don't do anything. Someone else did they died. They promised you something, and then they died. I have a rather fabulous 2005 Acura RL. It's a 10-year-old car, but it's, it's a really great car. And whenever my son gets into this car, he looks around, and he'll say, sometimes out loud, hey, when you're gone, can I have the car? We talk that way sometimes. And I say, sure, Ryan, I will put that in the will. You can have my 10-year-old Acura. Now, what if I... I'm just trying to explain logically. If I put in my will, Ryan, you can have my 10-year-old Acura, but you need to do about 1,000 hours of service around our house and maybe some other organizations, you know. Is that inheriting anything? It, it wouldn't take him long with a calculator to realize at less than minimum wage, in light of my car being worth less than $10,000, he could buy a better Acura and a newer RL if he didn't inherit anything. So when we say inherit based on a promise, if you contaminate it with performance, it's not an inheritance anymore. You see? See, it's not only legal, but it's also logical. So let's stop right here because this, this, this part is foundational to your tranquility. What kind of contract do you want to be involved with with God? Or let me... Uh, you know what would be good? If you looked over the last two years of your life, what would your life look like in what kind of relationship you're in with God? Would you say that you are basing it on, on a promise, that you've inherited righteousness from Jesus Christ, that it's a done deal, it's all gone? Or are you more over here on a performance mode? Are you seeing yourself as a child of God because he said so? Or are you in an employment relationship? Do you, do you feel the presence and the love of God because of the promises that he made and you're clinging to that? You're not taking your eyes off Christ crucified? Or, or do you want to report to him like human resources? But let me just tell you, I know this is preferential for a lot of people, especially if you have a bad self-image. Um, he is a perfectionist, God. He's the absolute definition of perfectionist. And the point of the law is to tell you not what so much you're doing right, but all the things you're doing wrong. People have difficulties with these two covenants in their relationship with God because when you get over here, all you have is anxiety. All you have is doubt. Are you pedaling fast enough? This is eternity we're talking about. Are you pedaling fast enough, hard enough, long enough? Have you outdone the bad things? How much do the bad things cost? You'll never know. What does that say about God, this God over here? This one over here, this is where you get this transcendent tranquility and peace. That's how you become a child. That is how you are become a perfect child. 
And that's why you find this profound freedom in these promises that are found in verse 26 and 27. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, were clothed yourself with him. All of you that were baptized in him, look what it says, you're clothed. What a like, remarkable, daring, and comprehensive metaphor here. You are clothed with in Christ Jesus. You're wearing his stuff. When you were baptized with him, when you chose this promise, you become enveloped by him, and you think like him, and, he's, and God sees you like him. Look at this picture. This is a father-son where, where the son is clothed like the father. See how he's wearing the, the, the jacket, his firefighting jacket is wrapped around him. You look, someone looks down and says, oh, he's just like the, the, the father and the son are just like each other. And that's how God sees us. When he sees you, he sees his son. And that's why when God sees us, he doesn't see us in these categories that we put ourselves in. Look, look what it says in the next two verses. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, one seed. Okay? We're part of the heir, heirs according to the promise. What, what, did we, what was promised? An inheritance. What was inherited? Justification. Who had to die? Jesus, the heir, the one. So you live over here, you live in turmoil. If you live here and believe these things, you live in peaceful tranquility. Let me give you another one. Okay, this will be quick. But, okay, when a king dies... And the prince, right, the firstborn son. We're going to use son from now on because sons inherit everything, right? I don't want to say male or female at this point or boy or girl because the women didn't inherit anything when Galatians was written. But I want you to hear this. If a king dies and his firstborn son is like 10 years old, okay, okay, he's technically the king, but not really. I mean, technically he's the king. And what, is the, what, what, what happens to him? He kind of acts like a slave for a while because he's going to have tutors and administrators and they're going to keep him in check and he's going to live within the boundaries so he doesn't start any wars right away, right? going to wait until he's a grown-up to start wars. And then, and, then, and then when the day is chosen that the father left behind, when, he's coron when the coronation takes place, when the coronation takes place, he becomes the king. But he was always the king. Here's why, here's why this argument is used. We all, it was always with Abraham's promise. And, and when, when the law came, that was helpful. That kind of kept us in check until like the fullness of time. You know, when the time was just perfect and we had a universal language and we had roads to connect everybody so that everybody could find out that this is true. The promise has been fulfilled. A seed came. One person, his name was Jesus. He was born under the law, but this is what he does. Look at 4, 6. Because we are his sons now, see the son part we inherit? What sons inherit? God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you are no longer slaves, but God's child. Since you are his child, you have also been made his heir. How do you become his child? By believing in the promise. You become his heir. You become clothed in him. 
See how he, Paul's just repeating this over and over and over and over again. That's why John, listen, that's why in John 17, Jesus prays a prayer for you, and he prayed it for me 2,000 years ago. He said, dear Father, would you, would you help them understand this? That you love them the way you love me. And that'll change their whole life. I wish I could change my tone. I really do. But here's the thing. When you reject this, when you get on this exercise performance bike, not only do you do stuff that makes you proud or painfully insecure, but you're rejecting the power of the gift of God's love. You're rejecting the nature of God's love, and then what that love did, it sent his son to the cross. You're rejecting that. And that's why I have an attitude here, okay? That's why I'm emulating Paul here. That's why. I'll give you one more example. It's not really in illustrations. It's more of a metaphor. You probably read in the Old Testament, Abraham had two sons, okay? He had two sons. He had one son with his wife. His wife, Sarah, had a son. His name was Ishmael. And he had another son, an illegitimate son, right, with his maid, believe it or not. We won't go into it, but with his maid, Hagar, and his name was Ishmael. So he had, did I say Ishmael? Isaac and Ishmael, okay? This, it, it's a metaphor, but this is the heir of the promise. This is slavery. This Ishmael was born a slave from a slave. This is a prince, will inherit the kingdom. This is a bastard child that is run out of town. Which son are you? How do you act? I mean, we, we honestly, we act like this bastard child that's born into slavery from a slave woman, and it's like, yeah, I don't deserve. And God's going, you know what? You don't deserve, but I'd like to beg to differ of what kind of son you are because I promised you that you would be the son of the promise, the miracle child that was born, not the one that was born out of compromise, not the one that was born out of regular natural means, but the one that people are still telling God stories about 4,000 years later. That's who you are. And that's why in chapter 4, verse 28, he says, now, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you are a child of the promise. You're a child of the promise. So act like a child of the promise. Look, the reason there's so much escalation and emotion and passion in chapters 3 and 4 is because it's, it's, it sounds like it's about you and me, but it's really about God here. It really is. This whole conversation is about the nature of God and the goodness of God and who gets credit. What we're, because when we talk, when, the more we talk about performance and, and even the anxiety, we're still talking about us. And if, we, if, we, if we're delusional enough to think we're doing something right, we get proud. If we're honest enough, we realize we're just in, in, anx, in you know, inner turmoil, and we're still talking about us. But when we look at this gift based on a promise that we would inherit the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he died, he had that righteousness, and then he died, and so he made a promise in the will that cannot be annulled or, rat- or added onto, and we get that. Then we're talking about what God does. 
Because here's the formula. Remember, the purpose, right? God's, pur- God's plan for us is to make us, right, his perfect child. He's going to make us his child, and he's going to make us perfect. And how does he do that? By faith alone, right? In grace alone, in Christ alone. And there's, no, there's one more alone coming, and this is, this is key to this. Look at the last one. To the glory of God alone. He doesn't want to share a story with you. He wants you to be talking about him because he's the only one that's doing this work. It's about him. And the more we focus on the promise and what he's done, the more we can grasp what's happening. And that's what changes our life. Let me give you a, a, a quick story, and then, we'll, and then I'll try to help us uh, apply this. Because, because the application of the depth and breadth of this, that's what's revolutionizing. Okay. When my uh, son was about four, I don't remember what he did, but he did something terribly bad. And uh, he lost a lot of innocence that day somehow. It might have been, the, you know, kind of the awakening of his conscience because he was, he was wrecked with guilt. And, and he hated himself for it. He was ashamed of himself, so there was shame involved. He felt like he disappointed his mother and myself. And so he runs into his room and slams the door, starts crying, and he's, and he's violently crying into his pillow. And Melinda and I talked and said, we got to get in there because we've never seen this side of him. And we, we need to make sure he pulls out of this tailspin. And so I jumped uh, in, in, into the bed with him and hugged him. He was four, so I was bigger and stronger in those few years. And I, and I got my arms around him, and I just said, hey, I, for, I forgive you. It's okay. He would have none of it. And you know why? Because he was thinking about himself. All he was thinking about is what he did, the shame it brought, the injury it might have cost me and his mom. It was all about him and what he did. And I I realized, I said, we've got to define this relationship early and often. And here we go. And so I wrapped my arms around him, and I I held him pretty tight. And I said, and this is where we invented kind of like our family phrase. I said, each kid has a nickname because I can't remember their names. And his, <laughs> his is Tiger. And I said, I love you, Tiger. I always will, no matter what. And he was still fighting that. He didn't want to hear that. I said, I love you, Tiger. I always will, no matter what. And he's, and he's still crying, and, and, and he's kind of thrashing around. I said, come on, man. Tiger, look, look. You're, you're my son, you are clothed in me. I am in you. There's so much of you that is like me. And, and I, there's, there's a spirit inside of you that gets to cry out to me, Abba, Father, stop thinking about what you did, and you think about how much I love you. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for your good. And we, we just, I was not going to let this little boy up until he relaxed in the truth that I loved him, that he was mine, that he is clothed in me, and there, and there was nothing that he could do to separate me, my love from him. To this day, well, pretty much for 15 years, the last thing my children ever heard from us as we walked out the door of their bedroom was, I love you, blank, you're right, I always will, no matter what. That's, that's the foundation. That's what you build a relationship on. And, and the rules come later because the person that's consumed in that love and the knowledge of the work of that love, 
They'll do things the law, <laughs> they will blow the lid off the law. You're his child. Not, stop performing. Some of you, some of you grew up with, with fathers, and there's a power in the father's figure. I don't want you to say parents. Some of you grew up with fathers that put you on a performance sheet. And I, I look, I, I think I can speak for Paul. Could you just, in your mind, in the deepest recesses of your soul, could you just have a funeral for that guy? Because God is not that kind of father. And so you, you absolutely have to get rid of this value where you perform for God Almighty because it's still all about you and not about his promise that he fulfilled. You inherit justification. How? One of the seed, the seed, the man, the Jew, Jesus, walks in as king, completely righteous, and writes out a will, it's ratified, it's notarized, and says, I bequeath my righteousness to the person who trusts in this promise. And then they beat him to death. And he rose again to prove it comes your way. So think about that, of the power of that, the peaceful tranquility in that, the overflowing joy that comes and how your life could be different. Stop fighting and just be his child and let him make you his, let him make you his perfect child. Let's have, let's just have a time, maybe a transformative prayer about these truths in, found in Galatians chapters three and four. Lord Jesus, I, um, there's Martha, Martha, you know what soup would do. There's so many Marthas thinking you're going to like us more, love us more. Lord, I, I pray that these two, pa- these two chapters would get its way into our souls, and so we would forget, try to see if you're looking at us while we're doing good. Lord, let, let these promises that you make be the thing that transforms us, that we, we can know that we're our, your we are your child. We are clothed in you. Your spirit just overflows in us, and we want to call you dad. I, I want to pray, I guess, a special prayer for people with addictions that are just, they're constantly, you know, in the dirt, and they think that you've given up on them because they are thinking, they think that you're on a performance. You're a performance father. And, Lord, I, I pray that their spirit would hate that. They would hate the thought that you're a performance-based father. I pray they would drive a stake in that vampire, sucking the life out of them. There's so many people here that, that haven't realized that they're addicted to sin. And then we'd get down seven, we'd, wait, we'd get up seven times. As the song said, that we would lift up our heads to you and we would see you for who you are. This unrelenting father who makes promises and then keeps those promises to make us your child. We'd find rest and tranquility. We'd quit fighting and wrestling and trying to prove ourselves to you or other people. That we would overflow with love. That we would give grace the way you gave it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.